morning. I forgot to put that up here. Sorry about that. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to SBC. Awesome to see you today. And good morning to everyone who's tuning in on Facebook and YouTube. Thank you for joining us today. There is joy in the house of the Lord. Thankful for this opportunity to worship Him together with you. Let's sing together, folks. We worship the God who was. We worship the God who is. We worship the God who evermore will be. He opened the prison door. He parted the raging sea. My God, He holds the victory. There is. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. We won't be quiet. Shout out your praise, there's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. We shout out your praise. Oh, yes, we do. We sing to the God who heals. We sing to the God who saves. We sing to the God who always makes the way. He hung up on that cross, then he rose up from that grave. My God still rolling stones away. There's joy. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. Shout out your praise, there's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place, we won't be quiet. Shout out your praise. And we were, we were the beggars, now we're royalty. We were the prisoners, 
we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. Once again, we were. We were the beggars. Now we're royalty. We were the prisoners. Now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. And there's joy. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. We won't be quiet. Shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. Shout out your praise. We shout. We shout out your praise. Oh, yes, we do. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Shout out your praise. Amen. Take a 
If you walk in freedom, if you bear his name, 
continue in just a second.
Okay, folks, let's make our way back to our seats here. Before Pastor Gary comes up and wraps up our 40 Days of Purpose series, we've got one more song to do together. introduced this one to you last week. It's uh, quickly become one of my favorites. The title says it all. God really loves us. I've got a friend closer than a brother. There is no judgment or he loves me. I've got a friend. He is my strength. He is my portion. With me in the valley. With me in the fire. With me in the storm. Let all my life change. Mercy, His mercy's enough. His grace is sufficient. So come if you're needy, give this your healing. His mercy's enough. This is our hope. The prophet has spoken. Death is no more. Lord, this is our home. We sing hallelujah. Hallelujah. We are not alone. God really loves us. God really loves us. Hallelujah. Praise. Oh, praise my What a father, what a friend, what a savior he is. What a father, what a father, what a friend, what a friend, what a savior, what a savior he is. What a father, what a father, what a friend, what a savior he is. Oh, what a father. Hallelujah. 
God really loves us. Yes, He does. God really loves us. Hallelujah. Oh, praise my soul. God really loves us. God really loves us. What a father. What a father. What a friend. What a savior he Thank you for loving us. Thank you that you loved us so much that you gave your one and only Son. Whoever believes in Him will not perish, will have everlasting life. Thank you for your love and your faithfulness that endures forever, generation after generation after generation. Thank you. That's all I know how to say right now is just thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And thank you is all we really need to say. I guess so. Yeah. yeah. So, um, okay. Uh, today, somebody told me today is supposed to be a special day. Uh, I don't know. Uh, something to do with the Super Bowl. Uh, to me, if the Niners aren't in it, it's not special. So, I don't I Actually, it's still, it's still special. It'll be fun to watch. Hey, you know, our God is great. Our God is awesome. Our God is good. Our God is faithful. And that's why we, we gather to worship him. And uh, God's word is true. It's true. It's true in all that it says. And it is uh, the authority of God's word. It is inspired by God. And we come here to hear from God. And uh, when we open up the scriptures together, that's what we do. We hear from God. Um, you know, this morning before I launch into the message, I just want to make... Uh, make a, well, actually, let me just say this. We've been doing a series. Actually, we've been doing a series called uh, 40 Days of Purpose. But next week, we're going to kick off a brand new series. It's called Thriving in Babylon. And what we're going to do is we're going to take seven weeks to work through the first six chapters of, of Daniel. And so week one, we'll look at chapter one. Week two, uh, a buddy of mine, Dave Gudgel, who a lot of you know, Dave's written, he's written a few books. But he has a little book that he's, he's created uh, and what it is, is it has 15 pictures that tells the story of the whole Bible. And so what he's going to do is he's going to uh, tell us the whole story of the Bible and then tie all that back into Daniel. Uh, so he'll do that two weeks from today, and then we'll continue to go through that. But we're going we're gonna to kick off the series. It's called Thriving in Babylon. And the reason I called it Thriving in Babylon is because 
because the because Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they lived in a culture. They lived in a place that was very, very uh, hostile towards their faith and towards uh, their faith in God. And we are living in a world that's becoming increasingly more hostile to the teaching of much of Scripture. Okay, that's kind of the world we live in. And what God wants us to do is he wants us to know how to thrive in a world where people don't necessarily believe what we believe. Uh, you, you know, it's really interesting. If you read through the book of, of, of Jeremiah, and Jeremiah uh, was written about the same time as the book of Daniel. And, and Jeremiah prophesied that the people of Israel would spend 70 years in, in, in Babylon. And part of what, 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 what Jeremiah told the people to do is he told them to pray for the peace of the city. And you know what city they were supposed to pray for? Babylon. That was the peace of the city they were supposed to pray for. And what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to pray for the peace of the city that we're in. And we are supposed to live lives where we thrive spiritually. And I think we can learn some really important lessons from this. So that's next week. Just want to kick that off uh, real quick, kind of tell you a little bit about that. Right now, we are finishing up our series on 40 Days of Purpose. And we've been talking about the five-fold purpose of God that God has for us. And so God's, the, the first aspect of God's purpose for you and me is worship. And we said that's how we love God. Uh, the second aspect is fellowship. That's how we uh, love one another. Uh, the third aspect is discipleship. And that's how we become more like Jesus. The fourth aspect we looked at last week is ministry. And that's where we serve God by serving others and serving others over self. And today we're going to look at that fifth, uh, that fifth part of that the five aspects of uh, God's purpose for our lives. And we're going to look at mission. Mission. And um, so we're going to look at that, about leading people to faith in Jesus. Uh, you know, our, there is joy in surrender. Can I say this? There is joy in surrender. I, 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 you know, if you were in like the Army Special Forces, if you're a Navy SEAL, one of the things you're going to say is no surrender. Okay? That's what you say, no surrender. But I'm going to tell you a different message, that there is joy in surrender. And when we surrender to Jesus, we will never know defeat. Did you know that? Our special forces have been defeated. Jesus has never been defeated. When we surrender to Jesus, we will never, never, never know defeat because we share in the victory that we have in him. Before I get into this message today, I, I want you to understand something that I think is very important for you. The gospel is not moralism. The gospel is not religion. The gospel is something far better than moralism. Nobody makes it to heaven because they're more moral than another person. Nobody makes it to heaven because they are more religious than another person. That the gospel saves all kinds of people who surrender to Jesus. The gospel saves religious people who need to be saved as much as irreligious people. In fact, if you were patient, I'm not saying you're not patient, but if you were even more patient than you already are, we would actually go through uh, John chapter 3 and John chapter 4 today. Because we would see how God saves religious people in John chapter 3. 
And then we would see how God saves irreligious people in John chapter 4. But what I want you to understand as we, as we go into this text is I want you to understand if you have never had a part in ever leading a person to faith in Christ, and if you never have a part in leading a person to faith in Christ, if you have surrendered to Jesus, you are totally, completely secure and accepted in him. You're secure, you're accepted, you are loved. That's not going to change. But I believe, I believe there's joy in surrender to Jesus. But I also believe there's an incredible joy that we experience when we get to be a part of seeing other people surrender to Jesus. In John chapter 4, um, actually, yeah, in John chapter 4, I'd encourage you, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to it. In John chapter 4, um, I'm feeling a little bit stalled here. I'm feeling a little bit stalled. So let me do this. Let me just pray for our time, and then let's, let me just read the Scripture to us if I can, okay? Lord, today we want to hear clearly from you. We want to celebrate, and we want to be joyful in knowing that we are totally accepted uh, in you. And, and, God, we want to know the joy of surrender, complete surrender to you. Lord, we don't want the way of religion. We don't want the way of irreligion. We want the way of the gospel. We want to be people who have experienced the power, your power, that saves in the gospel. But we also want to be a part of seeing other people experience uh, the power, your power, in the gospel to save them. And we want to be a part of that and experience the joy that comes with that. And so today, I just pray that you'll speak to your word. I pray this in Christ's name and for your glory. Amen. John chapter 4, verse 1 says this. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John the Baptist. So there's a lot of people coming to Jesus. Verse 2 says, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but the disciples. So he left Judea and went back, went back once more to Galilee. Verse 4 says, now, he had to go through Samaria. Can we just pause right there? Uh, if, if, you, if I had a map, I could show you this. Um, just pretend like my, this is right here. That's, 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 where, uh, that's where Jerusalem is. That's where Judah is, okay, where Judea is. Just north is, um, is Galilee, but between Judea and between uh, Galilee, there's a place called Samaria. And, and just so you kind of understand a little bit of the historical context of this, because I think context is very important. Sometimes we just blow through the Scripture, and we don't really think about context. But context is very important to understand what's going on. See, there had been conflict between the Jews and the Samaritans for hundreds of years. In, in fact, going over 500 years. During the time of Nehemiah, have y'all ever heard of Nehemiah before? During the time of Ezra, when they were rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, when they were rebuilding the temple, it was the Samaritans who opposed the Jews. See, see, the Jews and the Samaritans, they really didn't like each other very much. The Jews really looked down on the Samaritans. They looked down on them because they were considered to be uh, crossbreeds or half-breeds, because they were part Jewish, part Gentile. So they despised them because of their ethnicity. They also despised them because the Samaritans only accept, accepted the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Levit Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. 
And they had their own version called the Samaritan Pentateuch. But they didn't accept the historical writings. They did not accept the prophets. And, um, and they believed that the right place to worship was on Mount Gerizim, whereas uh, the people of Israel believed that the right place was on Mount Zion in Jerusalem. Uh, if, you, um, if you were a Samaritan woman, uh, and this may make you squirm a little bit, and I, uh, I apologize, but if you were a Samaritan woman, according to the Jews, you were con- considered to be continually menstruating. You were always on your period. You were considered to be always unclean. Uh, the Jews and the Samaritans get along with each other very well. And if you were a, Jer- uh, a, a, a Jew, you never had to go through Samaria. Did you know that? If you were a Jew, you never had to go through Samaria. You could always go along the coast. It was a longer route, but you could always go along the coast. The other way is that you could always cross the Jordan River, go up through Perea, cross the Jordan River again, and go into Galilee that way. See, Samaria was the part of town you never wanted to drive through. You know that part of town? That's what Samaria was. You never have to go through that part of town. You know the part of town I'm talking about. See, when I grew up in Little Rock, there was a part of town you did not drive through. You never had to go through that part of town. You always went around. But Jesus had to go through Samaria. The reason is less about geography, and it's more about the purpose of God. Jesus had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near a plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Uh, Jacob's well was there. I'm, I'm sorry, I lost what verse I'm in. Verse 6. Thank you, Tweet. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Now, I want you to understand this. If you were a Jew, you did not receive things from Samaritans. Jesus says, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? See, for a Jew, it's considered bad form to talk to a woman that you weren't related with. If she wasn't your mom or sister or your wife or a close family friend, you just didn't interact with her. And to talk to a Samaritan woman would have been considered to be something of like a disgrace. The Samaritan said, uh, Samaritan woman said, you are Jew, I'm a Samaritan, how can you ask me for a drink? For the Jews do not associate with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, and he said, if you knew the gift of God, and if you have an open Bible here, I would underline those words, the gift of God. That word gift is only used one time here in the Gospels. It's used four other times in the book of Acts, and every time that word gift is used, it's always used to speak of the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, if you knew who I was, Jesus is saying, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew who I was, you would have asked me, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And again, underline those words. Uh, The wall of Joseph here 
you know, in, in uh, the ancient world, that part of the ancient world, very, very arid now and then. Very arid. Water is, is a little bit of a scarcity. Okay? There's not a lot of water. And the water that's available usually is in these wells. This particular well is 106 feet deep. And what that means is you need a, a bucket and you need a rope. Uh, because that, that, that bucket's got to go down deep. You did not see a lot of running water in the form of a stream. And by the way, when you live in an if you can drink from a well that has kind of, you know, water that's been sitting there for a very, very long time, or if you can drink water from a fresh stream where the water's clear and clean, what are you going to drink from? And Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said. And at this point in time, I, I think that you need to begin to, to detect a little bit of, uh, of maybe cynicism in her voice, a little bit of maybe even sarcasm. Sir, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well, drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I will give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The Samaritan woman says to Jesus, she says, Sir, sir, give me this water. And again, I think she's being sarcastic here. Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and I won't have to keep coming here to draw water. See, every day she had to leave her little town of Sychar. She had to march out to this well and she had to draw water. And she was drawing water in the heat of the day at noon. Most people, when they would draw water, it was either early in the morning when it was nice and cool because you don't want to carry this big heavy jar of water all the way to town in the heat of the day. You want to do it in the cool of the morning or the cool of the evening. And she's saying, hey, give me this water so that I have to come here and draw. She's being, I think, somewhat sarcastic here. And so Jesus says to her, he says, go call your husband and come back. Interesting turn of conversation. You know, if I'm the woman, I'm thinking, okay, what does my husband have to do with this? Go call your husband and come back. She says, I have no husband. I have no husband. I think when she says, I have no husband, there's a wound. There's a wound. I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands. Jesus knows something about her that he can't know, uh, that, that he knows supernaturally. The fact is, you've had five husbands. What does that mean? Well, she's had five husbands. But what does that mean? It means either all five of them died, she had five divorces, or she had five different men who were someone else's husband. Okay? You've had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have said, uh, what you have just said is quite true. What Jesus is trying to do here, I honestly don't believe that Jesus is trying to in any way shame her or humiliate her. 
I believe that what Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to touch her and wants to give her a healing touch where she has the most pain in her life. See, this woman has been looking for living water all of her life. Every man she's ever been with, she was looking for living water. This woman was looking for something to satisfy the inner longings of her heart. And she was disappointed. And she was disappointed. She was disappointed. She was disappointed again and again six times. At this point, the woman understands that Jesus is no ordinary man. Because how else could he know this? And she says, sir, I I, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors, the Samaritans, worshipped on this mountain, Mount Gerizim. But you Jews claim that, that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. She kind of changes the conversation here. Whether it's intentional or unintentional, it doesn't really matter. But she changes the conversation. But what Jesus says to her, he says, woman, by the way, and, and sometimes when we read the word woman, like if I say to my wife, woman, I did not look at her in the eyeballs when I said that. But if I say to my wife, woman, uh, I'll be sleeping on the couch tonight, okay? If I say to my mom, woman, uh, she'll tell me, I brought you into this world and I can take you out. <laughs> I'm 87, but I can still take you, kid. Um, you, know, you know, when we hear that word in English, it sounds like a disrespectful way of speaking to another person. This is because we read our context into their context. And we do this sometimes. We'll read our context into their context instead of reading the Scripture in its context. See, that word, that address, woman, is kind of like um, in, in, I've shared this before, but... Like when I was in, uh, when I worked in Hungary, uh, if I greeted a woman who was a little older than me, I would always greet her, which means I kiss your hand, my lady. Okay? That word, is a word of respect and honor. Just as the, the word here, this Greek word, woman, is a word of honor and respect. It's kind of like when I was a kid, I was always taught to speak to women who were older than me and to say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, and to say, ma'am. It was a, a term of respect. And what Jesus is doing is he's very much respecting her. He says, woman or man, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. See, real worship, true worship isn't about where you're at. You Samaritans, you worship what you don't know. You worship in ignorance. You're worshiping based upon your understanding of the, of the Samaritan Pentateuch. You worship what you do know. We, the Jews, worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews because God brought the scriptures to us through the nation of Israel back in uh, Exodus chapter 19. I was reading this earlier this week. Is that what, what does God tell the people of Israel? He says, of all the nations in the world, you will be my people. You will be my nation. You will be a nation of priests to all the other nations of the world. That salvation comes from the Jews. It's through the Jews, through Abraham, eventually through David, and a descendant of David, we eventually get the Messiah, Jesus. Salvation is from the Jews. And Jesus says this in verse 23. A time is coming, and it has, has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father, uh, worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers that God seeks. God is a spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. Verse 25, 
The Samaritan woman says, I know that the Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Okay? Then Jesus declared to her, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. I am the one. I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. I am the Son of God. That's what Jesus is saying to, to her. Just then, the disciples of Jesus returned. They're surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked him, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Because it was inappropriate to talk with a man you weren't related, or to talk with a woman you weren't related with. Uh, then, leaving her water jar, apparently this woman leaves it there, maybe, I don't know, maybe she, to, so that Jesus could get water still, or maybe, maybe, because she was in a hurry to return to town uh, and then come back, hurry back. But leaving her jar her water jar, she went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I have ever done, everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And the Bible says they, the Samaritans, who were there in Sychar, they came out of the town and made their way toward him. So in that, uh, at that time, in that world, uh, around the little towns, around the little village, you would have the fields where you would grow food. And so the people are coming out of the village, out of the town. They're coming through the fields, and they're coming to the well to meet this one that the, that, uh, the woman speaks about. Uh, then, um, and she says to them, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town. They made their way toward, toward him. Meanwhile, the disciples urged, uh, urged Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, uh, could someone have brought him food? And Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me uh, and to finish his work. And then I, I really believe at verse 35, this should be a new paragraph. I, I, I believe, okay? Because it's a new idea. And what Jesus says, don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? Now, if you're disciples, you know, you've been talking about food, and now he's talking about the harvest. Uh, don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. And then he says this. He says, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. Open your eyes and look at the fields. Yesterday, I went over to Crunch Fitness to work out. And... I stood there in Crunch Fitness, and I began to look at the people around me. I began to look, not just at what people were doing, but I began to look at people's faces. And I began to notice a lot of different kinds of faces. I saw people who were very, very uh, intent on working out. I saw people who, some people looked happy. Some people looked really sad. I just started wondering about, I wondered about their story. I wondered about their story. This woman had a story. This woman had a story. She had a husband, a husband, a husband, a husband, a husband. And now she has a man who's not her husband. She had a story. Her story was full of pain. 
her story is that this insatiable thirst in her heart. And Jesus tells his disciples, I tell you, open your eyes, look at the fields, they are ripe for harvest. You know who's in the fields? The Samaritans. They're coming out of the town to the well, to Jesus. I tell you, open your eyes and look. Open your eyes and look around you. Open your eyes and look. Everywhere you look, there is a person. There is a person. They have real feelings just like you. They have real joys just like you. They have real heartaches and pains and disappointments just like you. Open your eyes. Look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the teacher may be glad, to, or in the, excuse me, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work. You have reaped the benefits of their labor. In these last few verses, it just says this. It's kind of a summary of what happens immediately after this. It says, many of the Samaritans, uh, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus. Why? Why? Because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And they stayed two days, or he, he, Jesus stayed two days. And because of his words, many more uh, became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. He is the Savior of the world. Is he the Savior of Jews only? Is he the Savior of religious people only? But religious people need to be saved. They need to be saved from their religion. Every bit as much as the irreligious person needs to be saved from their irreligion. He is the Savior of the world. I want to share with you five thoughts. I hope, I hope in this it will uh, challenge you to think challenge you to think the first thing i want you to to think about is this and is that evangelism and this is in your notes evangelism is offering living water to thirsty souls every person you meet has powerful longings in his or her heart every person you meet has a thirst They have a a yearning deep down in the heart for something more. Today, there's going to be an NFL quarterback, and they're going to go home a winner. And they're going to go home excited. And they're going to go home excited that they won the Super Bowl. But you know what? Next year, 
they're going to feel like that Super Bowl wasn't enough. See, sometimes people look to their accomplishments to satisfy the inner longing of their heart. And you know what happens? They, sat, they, they accomplish something. They feel a certain amount of satisfaction in it. But then later, they want more. Some people, they go out, they buy stuff. You know, if I only own this stuff, I'll be happy. They buy the stuff, and guess what? Next year, they want more stuff to make them happy. And they will never buy enough stuff to satisfy the inner longings of the heart. A, 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 a woman deeply desires to be in relationship with a young man. And she thinks it will satisfy her inner longing. People, sometimes people look to addictions to quiet the hunger the yearning and heart, the thirst. But only Jesus can do that. Evangelism is offering living water to thirsty souls. Number two, witnessing is sharing your story in simple terms. Witnessing is sharing your story in, in simple terms. What does a woman do? What does she do here in, um, in, in verse 29? She says... She says to the, she goes back to the town folks. She says, come and see a man who told me everything I did. You know, her message is profoundly short and very powerful. See, see, witnessing is sharing your story in simple terms. You know, you and I are called to be witnesses for Christ. What does a witness do? Is the witness the prosecuting attorney? By the way, there's some Christians who act like they're the prosecuting attorneys. They do. There's some Christians who believe their job is to prosecute and to talk about how simple all those people are. That's not my job. It's not your job either. We're not prosecuting attorneys. We're not defending defense counsel either. We're not the bailiff. Chuck's the bailiff. No more. Used to be. We're not that guy. We're not, we're not the, the deputy and make sure everything stays in order. We're not the judge who makes sure that everything, all the procedures happen correctly. We're not the jury. We're the witness. What does the witness do? She just tells her story. That's all she does. She tells her story. Witnesses, witnessing is sharing your story in simple terms. Number three, the harvest is souls is ripe for harvest. Sometimes just go and look at people in a crowded area. Look and think about them. Look and think, think about them as people and what they're experiencing and what they're going through. The harvest of souls is ripe for harvest. Um, number four, in the harvest of souls, some people sow and some people reap. What, what Jesus tells his disciples in verse 35, he says, I tell you, open your eyes, look at the, the fields, they are ripe for harvest. Verse 36, now, uh, even now, the one who reaps draws wages and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower, the one who sows, and the reaper may be glad together. See, some people sow. Some people sow. They share a story. They share with another person a gospel seed, how God has worked in their life. 
And then sometimes it's someone else later who reaps the harvest. That in the harvest, sometimes, sometimes we sow and sometimes we reap. Number five, there's joy, real joy in the harvest of souls. I remember my joyful surrender to Jesus as a little boy. I remember my joyful surrender to Jesus when I was about 16. I'd walked away from God. But there's also a joy that comes um, in the harvest of souls when we see people around us come to know Jesus. It is, it's just, it's awesome. So let's get this super practical if we can. Let's talk about action points. Uh, I think we need to be shaped by God's word in our thinking, but we also need to be shaped by God's word in our actions as well. Let me give you some, some action points here. Number one, trust the spirit to empower you. Okay? You know, trust the spirit to empower you. Jesus said, you will receive what? Power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and as far as the remotest part of the earth. Trust the Spirit to empower you. Wow. Just trust the Spirit. See, see, it's the, the power doesn't come from you. You know, sometimes I, I, you know, people are like, "Well, what if somebody asks me a question and I don't know the answer to it?" By the way, how long was this woman a Christian before she began sharing her testimony with other people who were lost? I mean, did she go to did she go to Bible college? Did she go to seminary to get better trained so she could answer all the questions? You know, did did she do all of that? No, she went home that day and she began to tell people what God had done for her. What Jesus had done for her. Trust the Holy Spirit to empower you. Number two, prepare yourself. I do believe. I believe in preparation. I do. I do. I probably overdo it sometimes in my preaching. Uh, but I believe in preparing yourself. The, the Bible says in First Peter chapter 3, verse 15, but it says, In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Submit to the Lordship of Christ. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared. Prepare yourself. Get ready. Prepare yourself. To give an answer to everyone who asks you. To give the reason for the hope that you have. Prepare yourself. Always be prepared. Now, in your notes, I have a couple different things there. You can look at them later. And one of the things I've encouraged people to do, and I guess there's a sub-point to this, is that prepare yourself. I said, write out a hundred-word testimony. Just write out in a, in a hundred words uh, how, um, how has God made a difference in your life? That's your testimony. How has God made a difference in your life? Is your life different because of what Jesus has done for you? Write it out in a hundred words or less. Now, why do I say 100 words or less? You know, it's really interesting. If you go through and you read through and you read Paul's testimony, he shares his testimony on several different places in the book of Acts. When you read through those, every time you can read through it in about three minutes. It's not real long. It's 
actually pretty short. This woman, she had a 16-word testimony. Did you know that? She has a 16-word testimony. I dare you to get that. She said, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? I mean, that's pretty simple. This is, I wrote it out again yesterday. I've written it, I don't know how many times. I've written my 100-word testimony, I don't know, maybe a 1,000 times, you know. I, I write it different every time, you know. But I keep embellishing. But, but the, my 84-word testimony as of yesterday was this. As a young teenager, my life was empty. You know what emptiness feels like? That's the way I felt. As a young teenager, my life was empty. I was anxious. You know what that feels like? I did. I was anxious. I was anxious. I was lonely. I felt like I didn't have a real friend in the world. I was lonely. I was deeply insecure. I'm already making it longer. I was insecure. I was afraid. I was angry. I saw a group of young people who had a joy and peace in Christ that I wanted for myself. I asked Jesus to come into my life to forgive my sin and make me the kind of person he wanted me to be. And I found a new joy in life. I didn't become perfect. But I found a new joy in life. It was like the Bible became alive to me. I had a new purpose for my life, and I found it in Jesus. Now, I did it more than 84 words, okay? But I wrote it in 84 words. Get ready. You know, prepare yourself. Number three, live wisely. Live wisely in the way you interact with people who don't know Jesus. The Bible says in in Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, live wisely among those who are not believers. Live wisely. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you may have the, the right response for everyone. But live wisely in the way you interact with people who don't know Jesus. Number two, or four, live wisely. Number four, make the most of your opportunities. See, it says there, make the most. Uh, live wisely among those who are believers. Make the most of every opportunity. So, so what I mean by making the most of every opportunity is that there are times that you're going to have where someone may ask you for the reason for your hope. You want to be ready. You want to make the most of that opportunity. They're not asking you for a 60-minute sermon, okay? They're just asking, so, I mean, why is all this Jesus stuff so important to you? And, and they just want to hear a real, you know, well, they just want to hear real the real you and the real reason. That's all they want. They don't want you to prove anything to them. They may ask you to later. But that's not your job. Your job is to, what does the witness do? He doesn't prove anything. He just tells a story. Make the most of your opportunities. Number five, speak graciously. Speak graciously. The the scripture says, live wisely among those who are not believers. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive. This is the New Living Translation. Uh, translation of this text, uh, it, it says it says to let your conversation be gracious and attractive. Uh, actually, what, what the, the the Greek says it says let your um, uh, let your speech always be with grace, grace seasoned as it were with salt. It, it's this idea that your your speech should be gracious and savory. It should be gracious and savory, not preachy. Okay, not preachy. Not preachy, but gracious. 
And one of the big turnoffs to a lot of people who don't know Jesus is that they don't like preaching. I really have to work at this. Uh, it's kind of an error. It's kind of a, I don't know, it's something that I, I struggle with as a pastor, okay? But, by the way, you know, people, the people in our community are going to be much more responsive to you and your story than they are to me and my story. They expect me to have a story. They expect me to have a story. They expect me. But when they hear from you, they're like, you know what? I can relate with that person. I can relate with him. I can relate with her. That's why they need you. That's why they need you more than they need me. Speak graciously. So trust the Spirit to empower you. Prepare yourself. Live wisely. Make the most of your opportunities. Speak graciously. There is joy. There's joy in surrender. There's joy in surrender. I said this a moment ago. There's joy in surrender. What does God want you to surrender? There is joy in surrender. God wants you to surrender. He wants you to surrender your failures. Why? So He can redeem them. Make something beautiful out of your life. He wants you to surrender your failures. He wants you to surrender your accomplishments. Today, there's going to be a a quarterback who's going to win the Super Bowl. Well, duh. Jesus spoke the word and a billion trillion stars were flying into existence. Our accomplishments are pretty small in comparison to God. Surrender your accomplishments to God. Surrender your unrighteousness. Surrender your righteousness. Surrender your irreligion. Surrender your religion. Surrender your fears. Your anxiety, your life, everything to Jesus. Um, there's joy in surrender. And there is joy in being part of this incredible harvest, seeing people the way God sees people, seeing ourselves the way God sees us, seeing that we have the power of the Holy Spirit to tell our story, seeing that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. You know why you can go out with incredible courage today? Because the gospel is the power of God. There's no other power in this world that can compare to that. We fired an RCBM missile this last week. Landed in the Pacific Ocean. No warheads on it. Thank the Lord. But you know what? An RCBM missile is no it is nothing in comparison to the power of God to save one soul. That Samaritan woman. One soul. Nicodemus. Genesis or, uh, John 3. There's joy in surrender and there's joy in bringing the message of Jesus to other people who need to surrender to him. I'm going to ask the worship team to go ahead and come on back up. And, um, and I'm, going to, I'm going to pray for us. God, we're so grateful. We are. We're so grateful that you have saved us. We're grateful for the power of the gospel that has saved us. God, we are, are uh, grateful at how you take all that we are, that we surrender to you. And that you want to take this and you want to redeem it and you want to make something good out of it. And God, we are grateful that we get to be a part 
of the harvest of souls. Where we get to experience the joy of the harvest and seeing people come to know Jesus. God, we are grateful that whether we, if we never have a part in seeing a lost person coming to know Jesus, we are grateful that we are secure and accepted by you. But Lord, we want to be a part of this harvest of souls. Lord, we, we want to be a part of that. We want to be a part of telling our story in the power of the Holy Spirit and seeing you, seeing you bring people, lost people, to Jesus. And so today we want to surrender everything to you. And we pray that you'll work through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Gary. Great message and great reminder for all of us. Um, as followers of Christ, we have this amazing mission. And everybody has a sphere of influence, whether, you know, where you work, where you live, where you shop, and just the people that we see on a daily basis. We have this opportunity to just, you know, be a light and, you know, get a little bit of salt. You know, when you when you have the eggs, you don't pour the whole salt shaker out. You just do a little bit of salt so it tastes good. And it's like sometimes God just wants us to speak that word of encouragement or bring Jesus in the conversation just to bring just enough salt to make it taste good. You know, so somebody will want a little bit more. And um, so great, great message today, Gary. Thanks. Well, we're finishing up our 40 Days of Purpose and uh, our groups. We've got another week or two of groups. So um, those of you who are in your group, I hope you're enjoying it. Uh, I know I'm really enjoying our group and learning so much. And it's not too late if you want to plug in. Feel free to join a group. Um, But I'm glad that we've kind of gotten to connect about what Gary's been preaching about on Sundays and kind of talking about it in a small group setting. It's been super good. And um, also, uh, what a privilege it is to worship God with our giving. And, um, you know, I love uh, Proverbs 3, 9. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best of everything you produce. And when we give God our best and we give financially to the kingdom of God, God blesses that. And so thank you for all of you who are giving. And uh, if you want to know all the ways you can give at Solana Valley, feel free to visit our website or our app. So uh, feel free to stand with us, and we're going to close with one more song.
when I think and when I think as God is done not bearing sent him to die I guess can take it in that on the cross my burden gladly bearing he led my soul Thank you so much for being with us today. We'll see you next time. Have a great week.